So, with your Bibles open to John chapter 4, let me just get started this morning. We're going to pick up where we left off. We left off last time with Jesus' self-revelation to a very unlikely person. He had an appointment with this person. God made the appointment and he kept it. He needed to go through Samaria. That was chapter 4, verse 4. He needed to break through a lot of barriers, things like race and nationality and gender, to fulfill God's plan of getting the gospel to the Gentiles. God had arranged for a Samaritan woman, uh, one of a very sinful reputation, to meet him at high noon at a well to draw water. It was just Jesus and the woman at the well. The disciples were in town buying some food. He had sent them to do that. The woman was outside the town at the well. And so they had a conversation. After some time, Jesus said something that altered the life of the woman forever. She had expectations, and that was revealed here in verse number 25 of chapter 4. She had expectations of a Messiah figure that was going to come, and he was going to explain everything. And it says there in that verse, it says, we know that when Messiah comes, uh, who is called the Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. The literal translation is he will clear up all the confusion. That's what it literally means, all the confusion. How many of you think there's a lot of confusing things going on in the world today? really are. That's just really confusing. He said, now this Messiah is going to clear up all the confusion, specifically religious confusion. And he's going to really explain what God requires. And so that's what she was expecting. And then verse number 26 is what changed everything. Jesus said to her, she said, I'm looking for a Messiah. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. Those two words, I am What an amazing, amazing revelation Jesus made to her. You're talking to him, Jesus said. Well, that line changed everything. I just want to say for you today and for me, uh, the day we had our encounter with Jesus changed everything. It certainly changed our destiny. It introduced a new spirit, the spirit of God into our life. It changed the way that we live and it ought to change our outlook and everything. But it changed this woman completely and it should change us as well. So I want to share today and I trust that the sermon is going to help you uh, open your heart, open your eyes, broaden your vision for the great harvest because I've had several of you come and say something, a few emails, Pastor Phil, you preached that passage and you, you skipped the central heart of the whole thing. Are you going to talk about that? Well, I did that on purpose and I want to focus on it today. So let's stand together and let's read verses 27 through 38, verses 27 through 38. And if you're our guest, welcome. Uh, we do this in honor of the word of God and to be obedient to the apostle who said, let's give public, let's give attention to the public reading of his word, verses 27 through 38. And it's on the screen and let's read together. Everyone reading, let's begin now. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot and went away to the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? 
Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and he who gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Father, add your blessing to the preaching and teaching of your word today. I pray that you would draw the net. You would draw the net among the believers, Lord. Draw us to yourself in closer communion so that we could understand the meaning of the passage. And then I pray, Father, if there's one here or two, or five, or however many you know that does not know you, that has never come to faith in you, that today would be the day. And I pray that you would draw them to yourself, only you can do it. Bless us now in this time, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Now, I pray that what I share with you today will be a great encouragement to you to open your heart, open your eyes. Uh, I certainly need what is the admonition of this passage of Scripture. To rehearse quickly what we said last time, and I, I really can't jump into verse number 27 without a, a, a just sort of a summary of the first part. <clears throat> we're, if we look at it this way, we would see that we're, first of all, look at Christ's ministry in verse number 4. And the statement was made in verse 4 that he needed to go through Samaria. Yes, he did. He had an appointment. He needed to go through Samaria to meet the woman. But he also needed to open the hearts and eyes of the harvest of souls in need of reaping for eternity. He needed, he needed, he needed to get his disciples to look at a bigger target and to see far beyond what they were seeing. As we come into our property each week, uh, you drive into the main drive and through the parking lot, just as you pull in on the right, uh, there is a house there. It's a missionary house, and there are missionaries that are housed there right now. I believe the ones from Belgium are in there, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, that missionary house we have dubbed and called, uh, we've called it the Harvest House. And the reason we do that is, is because we believe that these wonderful, these wonderful deputized individuals and families have been sent around the world to, on our behalf and on the behalf of the gospel, to bring people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to harvest the harvest of souls in other places in the world. I got to thinking about that, and, uh, and sometimes we look at people like that as the real harvesters, but you know, we all ought to go spend some time in the harvest house. Because the truth is, is that each and every one of us are part of God's harvest, yes, but we're part of the team of harvesters. If you know the name Jesus, and if you know him as your savior, you're on his team. And we're part of the team that's supposed to be doing this. The truth about all of this is, uh, we need to sign up for a stay in the harvest house symbolically because we are on a mission through a Samaria of our own. We certainly have a place where we live where there are multitudes of people from every ethnic background, from every race, from every culture, and uh, as well as uh, native regular people that have been here all the way through the last 200 years. We need to be busy about seeing our harvest. Not only his ministry, but think about his methods, and they were simple. We talked about it. Verse number seven, engage in a conversation. Folks, it's very difficult to have a gospel conversation when we're not having any kind of conversations. We need to be talking to people, getting to know people, not being afraid of people. 
The Jews were God's chosen people to be the light to the Gentiles, but they chose themselves to be isolated. We're just going to isolate. We're just going to, you know, hold back, not say anything to anybody. They were very thankful to be the nation that was blessed, but they forgot the second part so that they could be a blessing and they just weren't spreading the news. I talked about this some last week. Jesus, Jesus used this common daily need of water to bridge the gap to this woman to start a conversation which ended up in this lady coming to faith in the very person who was talking to her. You say, well, Jesus has an advantage. He's the son of God. Yes, he is. And he does. And he's able. But he also said, so send I you as my father has sent me. So I send you into the world. So we're supposed to do that. And I just want to just give this one little statement. We do not need to fear the objects of the great commission people. We do not need to be afraid of the people that, that live around us. And sometimes I think we're intimidated by them when the truth is, since the Holy Spirit lives in us and we've got this, you know, really powerful truth, they ought to be afraid of us. They ought, they ought, they ought, to, they ought to be listening to the good news of the gospel and we ought not be afraid to share it. So, though, so that was really awesome. Christ's method was through just simple conversations. His message That was the bulk of what I talked about last week, verses 10 through 26. And the message was simple. God's got a gift for you, man. Your religion is misguided. Your worship is vain. Your Messiah is here. Doesn't matter about your race, your culture, your nationality, your gender, your sin, or anything else. Nothing has put you beyond hope. And just by the way, the Messiah you seek, I am he. Wow. She had an encounter with Jesus. And I just got to pause and say, I need to say it again. There's just nobody outside the reach of God's grace. Do you understand that? There's just not anybody that when he says God so loved the world, that's all inclusive. That doesn't mean, well, but this group of people or that group of people or this race or this lifestyle or these people. No, no, no. No, listen, we shouldn't be afraid to give the gospel to everyone because God loves the whole world. How many of you believe that? Say amen. God so loved the what? World. Boy, that word world really is going to figure into the last point that I make today, and we're going to come to it. Now, this is all new, Christ's messengers. That was verse 27 to 34 that we just read. We're looking at this part about Christ's messengers. Jesus is the first messenger. I said it in the first service. It occurred to me, he's not only the messenger, he's the message <laughs> because he's the way and he's the truth and he's the life and he's the hope and he's the, he's the only one who can save us. He is the message, but he was the first messenger. Uh, he came in verse 26 and for the very first time he said it, I am the Messiah. I am he. Now, John, the apostle, he started saying that in the very first verse of the book of John. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was what? God. So he's speaking of Jesus and uh, he's talking about that. So John has pointed out he was divine from the very first. John the Baptist in chapter one, verse 29, John, the apostle wrote the book. John the Baptist wrote no book, but he was the baptizer and he was the one that presented Jesus. And John the Baptist in 129, whenever he understood and he saw the spirit descend on Jesus and he heard the voice from heaven and all of that, he said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He pointed him out as the divine son of God and God confirmed it in their presence. Nevertheless, this is the first time that Jesus said it. I am your long awaited Messiah. Now you're going to hear people say from time to time, Jesus never claimed to be God. 
Well, that dispels the whole idea right there in this passage because he does and he did. This is the first time he said it out loud. In the parable of the sower, Jesus is the son of man who sowed the gospel seed in the world. First one, he is, he is the gospel. He brought the gospel and he sowed the gospel in the world. Then in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, which follows right up on that, he says, now then I'm sowing something, but I'm not just sowing the word of God. I'm sowing the workers of God. And I'm not going to expound on that except just to say that each and every one of you that name the name of Jesus, you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been strategically, particularly, and individually placed. Placed. There's no such thing as accidental and happenstance and, uh-oh, it happened like, no, 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 no. God knows who you are. He equipped you the way you are. He knows where you are. And we need to lift our eyes because where we are is where we're supposed to be. Who you are is who you're supposed to be. It's so very important for us to understand that. The seeds in the parable of the wheat and the weeds were not just more gospel, but the sons of the kingdom, the believers with the gospel... And he planted them. But you know, some of the messengers were confused. Look at verse 27. At this point, and I'm going to make a big deal out of that phrase in a minute. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Some of the messengers are confused. The disciples returned from the little city of Sychar and they came to the well where they left Jesus resting. They found him talking to a woman, a Samaritan Woman. Now look at that phrase there in verse 27, and at this point, at this moment, or in this instance, or right here at this point, it is, in, it is there for us to understand this, that they walked up at the point Jesus was saying to her, I who speak to you am he. He was saying to her right then and right there, I am the Messiah, and they were stunned. Because here is their Lord and Master their future, they understand king of the Jews who's bringing a kingdom and it's all about the Jews and he is talking to a Samaritan woman, not just any Samaritan woman, and he's saying these things to her. They arrived, he was revealing that he was the Messiah, they marveled. I looked up that word marveled and it's in many words and I just chose these to include. They were stunned, they were amazed, they were dumbfounded or they were flummoxed. How many of you use that word? I was flummoxed. Flummox means I was completely blown away. It just blew my mind that Jesus was there and he was talking to this woman. He had expounded to the woman that he was the Messiah, but here's what they thought. Hey, you are the Jewish Messiah. You are our Messiah. Why are you talking to this wicked Samaritan woman about it? I thought we were sent to the Jews only. Jesus is explaining to them by his very actions, no, not to the Jews only, but to the Jews first, because they were the first ones that saw all of the power and example of God, and they were chosen to be a light to the rest of the world. And so to the Jews first, Romans chapter one, verse 16 and 17, Paul pointed that out. He says, the gospel is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. That's so important that we understand this. And so you see, he needed to go through Samaria. He didn't need to go through Samaria just for the woman, for her benefit, so she could be saved. That's huge. But he went through Samaria so that his disciples who were in training, they were his apprentices, so that they could see him cross the barrier and begin to reach other people. You see, he needed to go through 
Samaria. They needed to open their heart to the rest of the world. Some messengers are confused and then some messengers are unexpected. This is one of the most beautiful parts of the whole story to me. Verse 28 to 30, when the, woman, when the woman heard Jesus say he was the Messiah, her mind was cleared, her heart was open. She began believing what she was hearing. Look at it in verse number 28. Then the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of the city and came to him. What an amazing part to this story. What did she do? Well, she left her water pot. You say, well, are we supposed to all just leave our water pots? In other words, whatever we're doing, just stop it always in every instance. Well, the daily task always have to be done, but the daily task in this instance of carrying water slid to the background for the moment. She had just heard something that was life-changing. So she headed to town and she found the men. That's interesting that the Bible says it that way. She went and found the men. Now it can be translated, maybe even in your Bible, it says she found the people. It can be translated as people, but in light of the context, always remember the context, she had had five husbands and she was living with a, she was cohabiting with a man right now. And so these were the people that knew her and knew of her and she knew. And so she went into town and she found those men. She knew where to find them. And she lost the fear of ridicule for her sinful ways. She told them about Jesus. And here's the very words that she said. He told me everything I ever did. What a thought. He told me everything I ever did. I just wonder sometimes if we think we're hiding something from Jesus. That when we can do things, think things, say things, live a certain way, you know, live some sort of church life and some sort of other kind of life without, no, Jesus, now this woman, she just said, wow, he told me everything that I ever did. And no doubt in the passage here, we just have that statement. Uh, We have only a snippet of the conversation. Uh, You can imagine how long the Bible would be if every word of every conversation that anybody ever had with anybody was included. It would be enormous. But it's a, this is a simple statement that kind of summarizes. He told me everything I ever did. Then there was a change in her countenance. There was a change in her spirit. There's a change in her purpose. And there was a change in her that became such a powerful testimony. And you know what the most powerful thing about anybody is? Is what has happened to you since you come to Jesus and can you talk about it? This woman was brand new at this. And she just had met Jesus. And the very first thing she did, I mean, that's why I call her an unexpected messenger. Because she was unqualified, she was untrained, she was unexpected, but she was very effective because she was willing to go and say, man, something just happened to me and you got to meet this guy. The men and maybe even more headed out to the well to see Jesus for themselves. That's what it says in verse 30. They went out of the city and came to him. So you got this picture. There's a city. I picture it being an elevated little location and there's Sychar and outside Sychar, there's this well. And so the woman and Jesus are at the well and here come the men with the food. And then pretty soon after here come, because the woman has gone up there telling everybody what happened. Here come all of these men and others down to where they were. And so it's interesting that she gave her testimony and her testimony was essential, but they had to have their own encounter with Jesus. And I must pause and say this. A testimony is a wonderful door opener. A testimony is a wonderful thing to get people's attention. If testimonies didn't work, then the advertising business would not be in business. It works. And so you give a testimony, but the testimony is not enough to bring you to salvation. You see, they had to come themselves to talk to Jesus. 
Can I put it this way? You cannot borrow faith. Parents, you can't bequeath your faith to your children. You can train them in the faith. You can teach them. You can lead them. You can lead them in the way they should go. But your children, they've got to own it. It's got to be their faith. The faith of their fathers has got to become their own faith. They have to have faith in Jesus himself. And this lady gave a wonderful testimony, but they needed to go have an encounter with Jesus himself. Everybody needs a personal encounter with Jesus. Amen. Is that not true? Uh, Everybody needs to come to faith in Jesus. You can't borrow faith. You can't give it away. You can demonstrate it and you can speak about it. Some messengers are a little bit something else. Some messengers are distracted. They're distracted. Look at verse number 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. They were flummoxed again. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? They just were hung on, they, they, you know, they were just really into this. You're hungry and so on. You see, the disciples left Jesus. They've been traveling and they left Jesus tired and thirsty and hungry and they were genuinely concerned for him. They went to town to buy food and now they were sitting around, they were back, they were sitting around and they were eating and they were urging him to eat. But I mean, he just wasn't eating. He, he was, I don't know, had a far off... Uh, uh, look in his eyes or he was looking up toward the town and there were some people coming and they just couldn't get him to eat anything. And his retort to them was, I have food to eat of which you don't know anything. So he's going to explain something here. It's interesting to me that they went to town and shared nothing about Jesus, but the woman, after she met Jesus, she went to town and she could not quit talking about Jesus. That's awesome. They were concerned about physical food food while a spiritual awakening was happening. Think about that for a moment. He said, well, aren't we supposed to worry about physical food? Yes. Worry about working? Yes. Worry about paying our bills and keeping the lights on? Yes. We got to do all those things. But sometimes when God is doing something and there's a spiritual awakening, we just got to, some things we got to fade in the background. Jesus said he had food that they didn't know about. That's verse 32. They wondered who brought him anything. Verse number 33 And so they were weighted down with the concerns of the moment to the point that they couldn't see the spiritual thing that was happening right in front of their eyes. And so it's easy to be weighted down with the many things like Martha. You remember Martha, Mary and Martha, Jesus was there and he was in the house and it was time for him to sit down and teach. And Martha, she just couldn't quit cleaning and fixing and preparing. She just couldn't do it. And, and because, I mean, it was on the forefront and I know she wanted to serve, but there comes a time when serving needs to take second place and just listening takes over. Well, in this case, in this case, these, these disciples were so concerned about the physical, physical aspects of things that they could not even see what Jesus was teaching them, showing them and what this, what was happening right in their midst. The question I have to ask for all of us, is there a time for us to witness to a friend? Is there a time for us to help a disciple, a new believer from initial faith to spiritual maturity? Is there time for many, many, many things, but not enough time for the main thing as Christians? Jesus said this in verse, if you look at it in verse number uh, 33, he says, 34, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his 
work. He says, this is my food. My food is to do the will of the Father. The Father has a will for me, and I'm here to fulfill the Father's will. We're going to get to John chapter 17, and we're going to hear him say in his final prayer before he goes to the cross, Father, I have finished all of the work that you gave me to do. And then in a few days, he's going to go hang on the cross and a day, and in fact, when after he prayed that prayer the next day, he was going to hang on the cross and he's actually going to cry out the words. What are those words? It is finished. You see, Jesus didn't just cease to work. He didn't just work hard to the end. He, no, no, no. He didn't accomplish part of what the Father gave him to do. He accomplished everything that the Father gave him to do. And then he said, to do the Father's will is my meat. It is my vitality. It is my nourishment. It is my refreshment. And it comes from doing what the Father has given me to do. Folks, if you get into a moment in your life where you know God is really using you to help somebody in their Christian walk, maybe they're growing as a Christian or maybe they're not a Christian, and they haven't come to faith yet and you're planting the seed and you see the gospel light begin to come on. There is a, there's a sense of meaning and purpose that overtakes a, purpose, a person's heart as you share Christ and teach others the good news of the God. There's a purpose and a sense of contentment and joy that is not like, it is unlike anything else that you could ever experience on planet earth. And I'm afraid that we are many times weighted down with the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of sin and disciple, it, dis, it stifles the work of God in us. My mind is racing with so many individual cases. I remember a man on the side of a mountain who waited, who waited for five hours for our entourage to show up so that we could give him a Bible and share Christ with him because up to that point he had worshiped the God of the mountain with fetishes and sacrifices because his son fell off the mountain and he thought that's what he was supposed to do. But he heard the news of a bunch of gringos with Bibles talking about the one true God on Radio Waras which is the central place there. And he waited for four hours and we got there and through a double interpreter, Spanish and Quechua, it was amazing. This man, Edwin, came to faith in Jesus Christ and to know that it was a divine appointment. How many of you believe in divine appointments? God does make divine appointments. We must work and eat and rest and refresh and entertain, but when do we lose opportunities because we can't look up? Christ's mission mandate, and I've got to finish. Verse 35 to 38, it comes down, it comes real clear now. Jesus needed to go through Samaria to reach an individual woman. Yes, and wonderful is her story. But he needed to go through Samaria to teach his disciples that everybody is included, even the Samaritans. I wonder sometimes do we have our categories of people that are off limits. You know, Jonah did. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want them to be saved. And when God delivered them and they confessed and repented, he was mad at God for forgiving them. I wonder if we're like that sometimes. Is there a culture? Is there a group, an ethnicity? Is there a certain style of life? Is there a certain, that we don't even want them to get the gospel? We certainly don't want the alternative. We don't want people to die and go to hell, do we? Oh my goodness. Here is this beautiful mandate in verse number 35. Do you not say... There are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. Both he who, both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Beautiful concept. And in this, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I just want to say quickly here that the harvest is ready according to Jesus. 
He said it was ready at that time. This episode took place in an agricultural area. They would have been sitting in a place there, perhaps at that well, looking around, and maybe the fields had been freshly sown with wheat or barley, and the standard time from sowing to reaping would have been about four months. Four months to harvest would have become a phrase that would have basically been used to mean, okay, you've sown something, but you're going to have to wait for the results. And four months to harvest, it would have been an idiom that they would have used. And so as Jesus was speaking, while he says, you usually say four months till harvest, he said, but look, I want you to lift up your eyes right now and look around because the fields are already white into harvest. No, so picture this. Verse number 30 said that, uh, verse number 29, it said, the woman said, come see a man who told me everything. Verse number 30 said, they believed her and they went out of the city and they came to him. So here are the disciples sitting around munching on lunch. He can't be, he, he just can't get interested in lunch, even though he was hungry earlier. He just can't do it because he's staring off into the, into the distance. And while they're looking down, eating their food, he's standing up, looking back up towards Sychar. And here come in white tunics or white robes, which would have been the typical dress of the time. Here come these men. Here come some others, maybe some women, maybe some children. And here they come walking down from Sychar. And all he says to them is just look up. I want you to look on the fields because they're already white to harvest. And basically he's just saying, look, wake up, alert, look around. He says, because these are the people for whom I died or I'm going to die. They're part of the harvest. This is why he had to go through Samaria because the Samaritans and everybody else is going to be included in this. The men of town were on their way and they were part of the harvest. And then he says in verse 35, basically the harvest time is now. He says, look at the fields, they're ripe right now. We are the messengers, we are the reapers. Basically he's saying, if not us, then who? And if not now, then when? And there must be no delay. There's always been that in our Christian circles. Yeah, boy, I I really do need to think about sharing with my neighbors and my friends and I really need to do that, but boy, I just, man, I'm just so busy and I got so much going and I'm just, my nose to the grindstone. But we're encountering the harvest every day of our lives. Every day of our lives. Why is it that a new believer is the most effective and most active when they know the least and have the least experience? Why is it that somebody like this woman at the well who... (laughs) was freshly converted, you know, freshly came to know the good news. Why is it that she was just so vivacious and excited and thrilled? She had the sense of forgiveness and had the sense of hope for the first time in years. And she overcomes the ridicule, overcomes the criticism and goes running to town. And all she can do is start being a witness. Wow, it's, it's not about having tons of experience and training. It's about open eyes and open hearts and obedient spirits. Why is it that the people who know the most and have the most experience and have known Jesus the longest seem to somehow run into the zip lip disease? What happens to us? I'm just asking. What happens to us as believers? We know the truth. You say, well, I'm not a theologian. She wasn't a theologian. Well, I hadn't been prepared for it. Well, what prep did she have? You know what prep she had? Jesus came into her heart and changed her life. And she went from no hope to hope. She went from no life to new life. She went from headed to hell to headed to heaven. And she had to tell somebody. 
She had to talk about it. And so she did. So Pastor Phil, I don't know what to say. Well, tell what Jesus has done for you. Pastor Phil, I don't know who to talk to. Well, where do you live? Where do you work? Where do you play? Who do you care about? Make a list. Pray. The harvest requires partnership. Verse number 37 in this, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor and others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Rarely is one person, the sole person involved from sowing to reaping, from planting a gospel seed to reaping a spiritual harvest. Paul talked about the same thing in first Corinthians. He said, Paul, he said, I planted Apollos watered and God gave the increase. Neither he who plants is anything or he who waters. We got to stop keeping records. Stop putting notches in our belt. Stop thinking I did this or I did that because it's only God who gives the increase. We need to collaborate, work together. He who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor for we are God's fellow workers. Isn't that beautiful? You know, you've got a boss, but I've got a king. (laughs) We do. You've got somebody that you have to report to, but you also have somebody that you're co-laboring together with. You know who we're working together with whenever we spread the good news, pray with someone, uh, try to be a blessing. And you know who, you know who we're working together with? We're working together with God. We are God's co-workers. I, I, I don't know about you, but just knowing that I'm working together with God means I can never fail. Do you know you can never fail? The only poor witness is no witness. The only poor testimony is no testimony. The only poor job of seeking to evangelize is no effort at all. It'd be better to try and make a mistake and speak the name of Jesus than not try at all. Oh, this is so beautiful in this passage. Ultimately, we're working together. You know, the prophets labored in that area in the Old Testament, Elijah, Elisha, and many others. And then in the New Testament, John baptized at Anon near Salem, according to chapter 3. Well, this is only just a stone's throw from where this well is. And so many of these Samaritans may have heard about or even heard John. But being Samaritans, they thought it was only for the Jews. Folks, this is so very important that it's for everyone. People can never be harvested for the kingdom if the seed has not been planted. Like good farmers, and we understand this, we got to prepare the soil, plant the seed, water and water the seed, wait and expect a harvest. But the truth is, somebody else may reap the harvest. It is very, very infrequent that the same person who first planted the gospel seed is also the person who's able to see them come to faith in Jesus. But we need to work together. We need to understand that it's God that's doing the work. And let me just say this here at this point, that, a, that I really believe sometimes that a spirit of competition grows between individuals and churches. And I want to say that the spirit of competition between gospel preaching churches is a detriment to gospel mission. Folks, we are not in competition with other churches that preach the gospel. We are laboring together for the glory of God with other churches that preach the gospel. We're on the same team. We're preaching the same gospel. We have the same purpose in mind. This is so beautiful. Mark chapter 9, the verse there says, For he who is not against us is on our side. The, the guy got to finish. The, hospital is, the, the, the harvest is rewarding. Uh, they, we're, we're, we're gathering wages, gathering reward. I don't like that. That sounds mercenary. I'm just reading the Bible, you know, the ink on white paper. I'm just telling you. God says it over and over that he's, he's laying up crowns, he's laying up rewards, he's laying up wages, he's, he's doing it for us as we serve him. I want to just say to you, 
Never diminish and never dismiss any effort that you make. Never think, well, you know, whatever I can do is just going to be so small. Never do that. If you pray with someone, you care about someone, you reach out to someone, you give a gospel tract to someone, you try to share the gospel with someone, you try to be there for somebody, well, it just really doesn't amount to anything. Listen, never diminish, never dismiss. You have no idea what God can do with what you are doing because it's God that does it, not you. I don't think the little lad who had the lunch with the five fish and the, or the two fish and the five barley loaves thought he could do much either. Ah, it's so important. Never diminish it. The harvest is rewarding. The harvest reveals tremendous, tremendous results. Verses 39 to 42, I won't read all of them, but I I just have to wonder. It talks about the, the woman and her testimony. It says in verse 39, many believe because of her testimony. Then in verse number 41, it said, many more believed because they actually went and met Jesus. She pointed them to Jesus. They heard him and then they believed. I just got to say it today that many continue to believe because of this woman's account, because of what happened to her. We're reading it today. And maybe you're here today and you say, well, I'm hearing that. And she said that he told her that he was the Messiah and it changed her life from that moment on. Well, I'm here to tell you today, if you don't know Jesus as your savior, he loves you. It doesn't matter where you came from or what you've done or what your sin is or what. It doesn't matter anything about that because Jesus came to die for the sins of the whole world. I can't help but read this verse. Look at verse number 42. 42 says, they, speaking of these men and women who came out, they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ. Look at these words, the savior of the world. He's the savior. Who's saying that? Not Jews. This time it's the Gentiles. Well, now we get it. Now we believe it. He's included us. Jesus included me. That's what these people are saying. Yes, he included me. I'm just here to tell you today that he includes you too. No matter what you've done, where you've been, what your background is, what your religion is, what your mistakes are, doesn't matter how religious you've been or irreligious you've been, I'm here to tell you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the savior of the whole world. He'll save you today if you'll call on him to be your savior. There's not a message I could give you more important than this one. If you die without Christ, you're going to an eternity that you do not want to face. But if you come to faith in Christ, new life begins today. And it'll change you for today and it'll be secured for eternity. And heaven will be your home. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Do you know what your destiny is? Do you know where you're headed? Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Have you ever called on Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? You're here today and say, Pastor Phil, I've never done that. I've never asked Jesus to save me from my sin. I'm hearing you talking about it and you're doing it with such vigor. I at least believe you believe it. Well, I'm here to tell you that God so loved you that he sent his son into this world to die on your behalf, to take your place. And your pride or your sins or your hatred or your envy or your backbiting or your gossip or your murders, right? Drunkenness or your drug addiction or it doesn't make, or your super religious belief that you're better than everybody else. Jesus died for our sins. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Phil, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, except the one I'm talking to, would, would you say, Pastor Phil, please pray for me because I need, 
to be saved. I need Jesus to save me from my sin. Would you pray for me? Just raise your hand. I see you. Anybody else I want to be saved? I see you right back there. I need Jesus to save me. Is there anybody else? There's another hand over there. I see you. I want to be saved. I want Jesus to come. I want to be his. I want hope. I want what this woman got. She received forgiveness, and that's what I want. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You raised your hand. I just want to, I want to ask you to do two things. One, I want to ask you to call on Jesus even now, right where you are, and ask Jesus to save you from your sin. Do it like this in your heart. God, I know you're there because you're talking to me, and I'm convicted. I'm a sinner, and I know it. I'm separated, and I'm helpless. I believe you, this message, that you are the Messiah, Jesus, that you came, that you died for me. I believe this. I believe you were buried, and I believe on the third day you rose again for me, and you're offering me life, and I'm asking for it. Forgive me. Save me. Give me life. Let me follow you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody's moving yet. If somebody would say, Pastor Phil, I just did that. I just want you to pray for me. I'm not going to make you do anything. He said, I just did that. I called on Jesus. And I asked him, and I meant it. I meant it with all my heart. I called on him. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand, ma'am. And I see your hand, sir. And I see your hand. Many, yes, ma'am, I see your hand. Oh, praise the Lord. Father, thank you for working in our midst. Thank you for drawing people to yourself. And I pray that you give these people wonderful courage. I pray, Father, that they would not hide. And I pray, Father, that you would give them great joy in their hearts for calling on you to be their Savior. And I thank you that you've made this for everybody, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, as we go, Lord, I pray for these. I pray that they'll follow some simple instructions. In Jesus' name, amen.